I'm Brian Santo, EE Times Editor-in-Chief. You're listening to EE Times On Air. And this is the weekly briefing for the week ending August 13th. Silicon Labs was founded in 1996. About 10 years ago, the company made a strategic bet on the Internet of Things. That gave Silicon Labs two broad product lines, the IoT and analog ICs and components. Tyson Tuttle was one of the earliest employees at Silicon Labs. He was instrumental in devising the company's IoT strategy. Ten years ago, he was named Chief Executive Officer, which put him in charge of executing the plan. Earlier this year, Silicon Labs doubled down on its IoT bet by selling off its infrastructure and automotive unit, essentially its components business, to Skyworks for $2.75 billion. Silicon Labs is now one of the few large semiconductor companies focused entirely on the IoT. That's a mission accomplished, and perhaps that seemed like an appropriate time to move on. Tuttle announced his retirement from Silicon Labs, effective at the end of this year. This week, Tuttle is our guest. In a moment, we'll get to our freewheeling discussion we had with Tuttle on the Internet of Things, managing a company in the modern era, and more. But first, here are some of the things you can find in EE Times this week. There are several companies racing to develop a commercial fusion reactor. The world has heard exaggerated claims about advances in fusion power before, so some skepticism about fusion power is merited. That said, there do seem to be a lot of companies lately reporting encouraging developments. EE Times editor Maurizio De Paolo Emilio, himself a physicist, has written an overview that covers what fusion power is, how it works, and what the state of the industry is today. Maurizio is also the editor of Power Electronics News, and he also just recorded his latest Power Up podcast. His guest is Stephen Lambert, head of electrification at McLaren Applied, part of the conglomerate that includes McLaren Automotive. The discussion is about technology improvements that will make electric vehicles more practical. In keeping with the automotive theme, we have a report on a teardown of the Volkswagen ID3 hatchback, one of the best-selling electric vehicles in Europe. Volkswagen's ID is a modular platform designed to enable the company to accelerate its migration from the internal combustion engine to electric vehicles. The teardown was conducted by System Plus Consulting, an editorial partner of EE Times. The teardown reveals details of the ID modular frame. For all of these stories and more industry news and analysis, visit our website at eetimes.com. If you're on this podcast episode's webpage, look to your left, you'll see links to all of the stories we mentioned today. Many of the most successful semiconductor companies achieved their prominence by growing their product portfolios and expanding into entirely new customer segments. Silicon Labs' growth was likewise predicated, at least in part, on acquisitions, but its M&A strategy was a little different. While other companies were entering entirely new businesses and market segments, Silicon Labs typically bought companies to complement its existing strengths in mixed signal and RF design or to round out its portfolio with another wireless technology option. In 2008, it paid about $80 million for Integration Associates, picking up some short-range wireless capability. 
In 2017, it bought Sigma Designs for about $280 million, essentially gaining control of the Z-Wave wireless protocol. Last year, it bought Red Pine Signals for a little over $300 million, picking up some expertise in low-power Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. It was all in the service of making itself into one of the go-to companies for IoT Silicon. It was a path laid out over 10 years ago by Tyson Tuttle and his Silicon Labs colleagues. For the last 10 years, Tuttle has led the company as CEO. We talked to Tuttle on this program a few months back about the company's divestiture of its industrial and automation unit, which it sold to Skyworks. When Tuttle announced last week that he'd be relinquishing the reins at Silicon Labs, we gave him a jingle to ask him back to talk about his career and about the development of the Internet of Things, which was still more of a concept than a market when Silicon Labs decided to bet its existence on it. I, I wanted to see if we could maybe just start at the beginning, if we could uh, kind of get uh, uh, your view of where you saw the IoT when you first started, and, and uh, maybe you can bring us to where you think you're leaving it. Yeah, well, in 20, oh, probably about 2010, uh, we, we had, you know, Silicon Labs was founded in 1996, and we went public in 2000 and did a lot of hit products in a lot of different areas. We had modems, we worked on some stuff for mobile handsets. We ended up selling that business in 2007, but had done a lot of really pioneering work in the integration of RF and mixed signal into standard CMOS and using digital techniques and applied that to a bunch of different areas, radio tuners and TV tuners and timing chips for high-speed communications. So a lot of different components. And I, I, like, I liken this to, uh, you know, when we started, you know, the industry, when we started was uh, it was like a big apple tree and you could just go pluck a big apple off the tree and crank that product out and, and get, get a big hit. And over time, those apples got higher up in the tree and they got smaller. And, uh, and also, you know, when you're a startup, everything is growth. Uh, but when you reach middle age, uh, you've got some things coming down and some things coming up. And, uh, you know, as the industry kind of matured, and uh, it wasn't just about integration in CMOS anymore. Uh, it, was, uh, it was about having a larger portfolio and we were diversifying, but we, we found ourselves in a mode where we weren't growing as fast as we wanted to. Mm -hmm. and, and also saw down the, you know, down the road that, um, that you really had to get into a situation where you can control the integration path and control a system uh, in order to have long-term sustainability. So we, we, we really sit sat down as a team and, and thought about, you know, what are the areas, you know, over the next decade or two decades? So this was around 2010. I had, I had moved from a product role into a CTO at that point. Mm -hmm. And uh, we wanted to, uh, you know, think about, you know, wireless communications had been one of our, one of our areas. And kind of at, at that point, you know, PCs and handsets were connected up, but we saw that there were more and more things getting connected up. And uh, when I started talking to the board and the team about IoT, it's like, well, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, we did a, did a lot of thinking about, you know, how are devices going to get hooked up? And, mm -hmm. and ultimately, a lot of these are microcontroller based. Um, and, and we saw that, you know, billions and trillions of devices are going to get hooked up over time. And it wasn't just a chip. It was a broad range of applications, uh, you know, thousands of applications of this technology. Um, where there's an SOC at the heart, and you need a series of SOCs depending on the application. Yeah, but I was going to say. I mean, when you when you, to say you went to the board and said, "Yeah, IoT is going to be big." There, there's no such thing as the IoT really when you're 
creating a, a uh, when you're creating a product roadmap, there's a bunch of potential things at that point, right? Yeah, we, we had up until that point, not really taken a lot of market risk. We would go into an existing market with a better mousetrap mm -hmm. and then take share. And this was kind of the first time when we leaned forward and said, okay, we know that things are going to get hooked up. And then you got to figure out how you're going to address that market. How do you how do you address all these variety of applications with a common platform? If you think about things like FPGAs or you know microcontrollers in general, you're going after a very broad market, and microcontrollers uh, you know sometimes would have a wireless component to them or something like that. But if you really want to be at the heart of these these IoT devices, you've got to really integrate all the pieces. You got to integrate the wireless as well as the the microcontroller, and then you've got to have you know, software that, you know, all the protocols, you got to support Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and mesh networking and a lot of proprietary protocols because it's, you know, like in a, in a handset, you've got a number of wireless, you know, depending on, you know, Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or the cellular technology. But in IoT, there's there's a whole different variety of things. So you've got a, you've got a real matrix of, of uh, you know, functionality and wireless protocols that, that you need to support. So we, we developed a multi-protocol platform where you could support all of these wireless protocols with the same silicon and uh, a number of different devices that would run the same software uh, framework and development tools to help customers get those to, uh, uh, to market. We, we added security and machine learning and a lot of those things that are now getting integrated into the chip. And, and saw the proliferation of these, uh, these devices in the market. So we started out, our business was, you know, we, it was really just a microcontroller business, about a, you know, maybe $100 million at that point. Uh, and we did a series of acquisitions to bring in talent uh, and technology into the team. We, we invested money. We actually took the profitability of the company down to be able to make the investments that were required. We transferred a lot of resources from other groups uh, into this, and it became, you know, the bulk of our R&D activity over the course of the last 10 years. And, you know, this year we'll, we'll end the year over $650 million in that business with 30% uh, growth in IoT and really well set up for, for next year and the following year. Uh, and then when we got to 20, uh, 2020 uh, and IoT had kind of reached this critical mass of growth and it had, it had gotten into the point where it was profitable, we, we made a decision as a company to divest our our essentially our legacy business, but our component business. We had very good vectors in electric vehicles and automotive infotainment and in high-speed communications, but those businesses were starting to, to, uh, to move apart. And uh, you know, one was a component business, different supply chain, different customer base, and then IoT really now starting to get critical mass and escape velocity. Uh, and and the thinking that 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 would be in you know the infrastructure business would be in better hands with a company that was really focused on more component type things. So Skyworks was a great partner for that. We got a good value for it. Closed that deal, uh, I guess, a week and a half ago or two weeks ago today, and uh, you know have have a fair amount of cash in the bank now. So and in, in a in a bright future on IoT, but it's it's been definitely a journey to get. IoT into this point where we now have over 20,000 customers and uh, we're, we're building our third generation platform. And it's, uh, it's, it's great to see the progress that we've made. Pursuant to what you just told me, um, at a certain point, you're looking at the IoT, you figured out that you, what, what the IoT is going to need, microcontroller with uh, multi-platform support for, for all sorts of different connectivity, 
but it's still early in the day and uh, you're, you must be already anticipating um, helping potential customers out with the development kits that you were talking about. And you said, uh, we actually took the profitability of the company down a little bit so that we can make the investments that were necessary. Um, that's one of those lines that you, I don't want to just skip over. I got to imagine that somewhere or other, there were some investors that you probably had to convince taking the profitability down uh, was something that you might've had to convince them about. I, what was it? Was that a, was that a, was that a complicated sell? Well, when I, when I took over as CEO in April of 2012, um, the, we, we announced that we were getting out of the handset touch business and that we were focused, going to move our focus over to IoT. And we tried to define what the IoT was and, and certainly what the opportunity is. And, and at that point, telegraphed that we were going to be investing uh, in this area. And shortly thereafter, we acquired Ember, which was, uh, they were the leading provider of Zigbee, which is a mesh networking technology. Right, right. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, as we rolled that out, um, you know, and I, there's, you know, one of the hard things about being a CEO is you have a lot of different stakeholders. You've got the board of directors, you've got customers, you've got, uh, you know, you've got your employee base, uh, you know, all the investors and everything. And um, and we we were very transparent about what, what the strategy was. We were going to de-emphasize certain product areas. We were going to go through a series of acquisitions and, and we were going to have, um, you know, part of that was going to be to invest to win over the long term and, and staying focused on that long term vision and what it's going to take and to continue to talk about, um, you know, what the opportunity is and, and, and measuring progress along the way. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it takes a you know, firm hand on the wheel and, uh, you know, and some, <laughs> some uh, intestinal fortitude from time to time, uh, you know, when maybe that market doesn't develop quite as quick or. Yeah, uh, you know some of those things, but it's like that. I, there was a you know strong conviction on the part of the board and the team that this was a huge opportunity in the future, and uh, and that and that we had uh, what it took to be able to win, uh, and and that you know we understood you know that you needed to simplify your offering to be able to support customers. Uh, you you needed to. Uh, you know, make investments in the platform to be able to have, you know, a complete offering to be able to address as much of the opportunity as possible. Mm -hmm. But there was a strong conviction on the team and, um, and, you know, to be able to set that vision and people understanding the value that that's creating, right? It helps to improve people's lives. It helps to make the economy more productive. It helps to, you know, uh, make products, you know, more functional. You, you see example after example of, uh, customers embedding technology, you know, embedding connectivity into their device for the first time and, and then creating new business models around that and, and new revenue streams. It, it, we, we got to the point where it's like it was just example after example of if you don't add connectivity and connect up your device um, or, you know, your network or, or, you know, be able to leverage IoT technologies, it was kind of a race to the bottom. Uh, you know, we, we all expect our phones to continue to update and add new new connectivity. And, and you know, you think about all the different things that that enables in our lives. Well, that's the same thing for a light bulb or for a power tool or for an asset tag or, 
you know, in a, in a retail environment or in a factory environment or in smart cities, um, it it's really one of the one of the key drivers of productivity improvements. And uh, you, you think about the things that are going on in portable medical on, you know, uh, continuous, you know, blood glucose monitoring and, uh, you know, a, a identifying disease. You think about during the pandemic of doing tracking and tracing of, of, you know, measurements and being able to geolocate, you know, because of a device can talk to a phone or it can talk to a network uh, and be able to communicate data and to adapt and then become part of, you know, uh, larger applications. And, uh, and that's you what, anticipated? So, so it's, 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 it's also one of those things that's, you know, there's a mission. Our goal is to connect up the world, you know, to build a smarter, more connected world. And, and, and that that, delivers tangible value. And when you see that tangible value, you know, you're on the right track. Yeah. So uh, to what extent were you, uh, were you proselytizing versus uh, waiting, waiting for customers to come to you? And uh, the question being, um, were there medical equipment suppliers who were, uh, who had already thought about, Oh, there's IO, there's connectivity options available for us. Who do we go to? You pick out like a, you know, the top four or five, you know, semiconductor suppliers and Silicon Labs is one of them. Or did you, did you and your team anticipate some of these applications, any specific verticals that you really wanted to get into and thought that you could have a, you know, offer a really good value proposition and, and go that way? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of both. Uh, you know, we've spent a lot of effort in terms of building our brand and uh, and and really getting out and being thought leaders in the industry and talking about the trends and and uh, you know establishing a reputation for delivering innovative solutions into the market. Um, you know, and certainly you work with partners. Um, you know, for instance, an Amazon or a Google or. Um, uh, or arrow, you know, sales distributors that that have relationships, and um, and so you know we get a pretty broad uh, look at pretty much every application that's getting connected, and you know, many times we have you know the best solution or or a very good solution, but then we you know we also targeted specific verticals. You know, one of the early ones was uh, smart metering. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there's there's a lot of value in being able to connect up, you know, water meters and electric meters and gas meters to the internet. It, it saves, you don't have to go out and read them and you can do in-home monitoring. And there were government programs that were, uh, you know, were subsidizing the rollout of, uh, of smart meters. And so, you know, you go out to all of the, you know, the smart meter makers and you talk about the technology and you bring in ideas and you brainstorm ways that this can work better. And sometimes you've got the right product. Sometimes you've got a, you know, do a little bit of work to, to write a new protocol or to do a new device. And, you know, we've, we've done now, you know, uh, multiple generations of devices and, and a lot of customization around that application. And, you know, there's a, there's a five-year rollout, you know, we're kind of in the middle of that in the UK where, you know, it was 120 million devices that get, uh, that get connected up just in one country. And then you can think about how that, the, that technology then rolls around the world. So, uh, you know, and, and, you start working with the the leaders in that, and then other people, you know, see what's going on and uh, and continue to build on that. So you know, the, you know, the smart city type stuff uh, has been a lot of fun um, and and added some really valuable functionality, and so people can monitor their energy usage and and get a more granular view 
uh, of you know exactly what's going on to be able to you know reduce energy consumption. There, you know, you can always load shed and say, okay, well, it's time to turn off your thermostat because we've got a you know uh, a load event. We probably could have used a little bit more IoT technology in Texas when we had the, the big <laughs> freeze back in February. That's for sure. <laughs> Has anybody ever come to you with uh, so uh, so? Obviously, uh, you guys did a lot of research before getting into this. Along the way, did any did you ever have somebody come along with an application? Said, and, you know, and they asked you, "Hey, can you do this?" Something that really surprised you. It's like, oh, we hadn't anticipated that. Yeah, we've. Uh, yeah, I, I think that happens on like a weekly basis. Uh, a lot of times, you know, and. Um, you know, we started to see people starting to mix and match, you know, one example is, is, you know, in a light bulb, they would connect up the light bulbs into these mesh networks, but then they also wanted it to talk to a phone and they wanted, you know, a certain type, you know, so when your phone's gone, the lights still work. And, uh, but when you're there, you can commission things, but you can actually control and interact. Hmm. And, uh, you know, th those, that requires, you know, you, you don't want, you want to do that in a way that you don't have to have two chips and do all that. And so, you know, that required, uh, you know, some careful thinking about real-time operating systems and, uh, you know, multiplexing and, and really getting into how these, these protocols can, uh, can work together and how your, your system can context switch. And uh, so, yeah, there's, there's been a lot of stuff, you know, Amazon with their sidewalk protocol, uh, you know, where they had, you know, some existing devices deployed out in the field and they, you know, came up with the idea that, well, you can actually, you know, create a secure network so that you can actually share some of that bandwidth uh, to create essentially a wide area network uh, to be able to start roaming around neighborhoods and this sort of thing. And, uh, you know, again, that, that you know, creates a number of challenges in terms of range and in terms of interoperability and compatibility with, uh, you know, with various things. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of examples. Whenever you're talking wireless, everybody's always got some new idea right. <laughs> about how to use it. Uh, and and you got to think creatively. One of the great things about our platform is that we've been able to design it so that you can really customize. So you can go after a standard type wireless protocol, you know, like a Bluetooth or a Zigbee or Thread or or Wi-Fi. But a lot of times, customers just want maybe they want a private network, or they may may want to trim that down, or maybe they have to be compatible with some legacy technology. Uh, and we've made it easy for customers to be able to uh, you know to uh, to kind of customize the way the wireless works. You know, for instance, if if you want to create a larger network, but you know exactly what it's going to do and you want to save energy and do broadcasting and things like that and synchronize things up, there's always, uh, you know, tricks and challenges there to be able to help customers really achieve what they're trying to accomplish. Did you ever get surprised by um, how people wanted to use wireless? And... Uh, the, the context of that question is, I don't know, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, when people were talking about the smart home, I think a lot of people conceived of there being like a central hub and you would talk to this, this you know, the central unit and maybe it might be a set-top box or maybe it might be another, you know, standalone computer in the home. And it, that thing would be the interface to everything else in your home, whether it's the TV or, or the light or the thermostat. And uh, some of that happened, but there's also instances where it's just like, no, I just want to go straight from my smartphone to my light bulb. You know, I don't want to go through a hub. Were you surprised by the way people employed networks? 
in order to to enable their their Internet of Things things? Yeah, I mean, you, you can always come at this from like a technology and an implementation standpoint, but I think that you first you really have to think about the consumer and the end user, mm -hmm. and and you know how are they going to use this? You know, like the example of you know you'd like to talk to your light bulb with your phone, but when your phone's gone, you'd like your light bulbs to still work, right? And another challenge is that you know different types of devices have to talk to one another. So that, you know we've we've done a lot of work with ecosystem players. You know the Google Home and Amazon Alexa. There's some new efforts to take the Zigbee. Zigbee is is a way where devices can talk to one another on the network without having to go through a hub. Mm. And uh, there's a new effort. It used to called uh, be called Connected Home over IP or CHIP, and they they just rebranded that to something called Matter. But uh, working with the leading, you know, large ecosystem players to make IP based devices, uh, you know, whether they're Wi-Fi or or Thread or or other protocols, mm -hmm. be able to interoperate and talk to one another. Mm -hmm. um, and and a lot of these devices are also integrating Bluetooth functionality so that they can talk directly to the phone. So it's kind of, it becomes seamless where you're connected to a local area network and a lot of times a gateway uh, through a variety of ways, but that it all just works together. Uh, we're, we're having a, a conference in September called the Works With Conference, uh, workswith.scilabs.com for the, the listeners out there, uh, where we're bringing, you know, thousands of developers together to talk about how to, how to deploy, uh, you know, devices and make you know bring things into ecosystems uh, to be able to make them easier to use from a consumer perspective, and I think that that's one of the key. As you look, you know, every year there are more and more and more connected devices being sold, yeah. but as the as the you know as we start touching more and more homes and more and more people and more and more applications, uh, that industry wide collaboration and making things easier, um, you know, one of our core values is simplicity make it easy. You know, when you get a new device, I, I'm one of those guys that doesn't like to read instructions. And, uh, and, and that's a really important perspective to keep in mind. Yeah. So, so moving forward, I mean, the, the internet of things, there's, there's lots of things to connect. And again, thermostats, light bulbs, lamps, you know, whatever factories, you know, factories, robots, uh, you know, car, whatever. Um, works that the the internet of things uh is things but there's also that element of people connecting to their things and now we're talking and uh i've heard a lot of people recently revise or, or you know revive the 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 popularity of that notion of the internet of everything um yeah, well, is like to talk about the internet of everything you know everyone kind of defines iot in a different way. And, and I think that when you when you think about corporate strategy and focus, yeah, one of the important things is to define your parameters mm -hmm. and, and to not get spread too thin and almost sometimes decide what you're not going to do uh, as opposed to, you know, what you're going to do. You, know, well, you, want, you want to answer some of those questions you, first. How do you, uh, how, how is uh, What's a, in your mind, what's a reasonable way of slicing and dicing this market of interconnected networks, whether it might be the home, the factory, the smart city, um, maybe XR, VR, AR everywhere. Um, how do you, how do you conceptualize that? How do you, what's the, what's the philosophy of figuring out what's, what's what? 
Right. And, 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 you know, this, this gets into corporate strategy and looking at, you know, if we're, you know, call it a $700 million company and we're going to a billion and 2 billion and 4 billion, you don't have to do everything. <laughs> right. And, uh, and, you know, and so our, our view is that this is a machine to machine model and that we are going, our ultimate goal is to do the complete integration at the far edge. Okay. And that, that, you know, and you're going to have, you know, things that look like mobile phones and the folks that do mobile phones are going to do those pretty well, you know, companies like Qualcomm, um, you know, so it's going to run Linux and it's going to have gigabytes of memory and, and it probably has to be plugged in, you know, like a voice assistant or something like, you know, those are IOT devices for sure. But our view was that it, it, it is a, uh, it is an embedded okay. uh, application. So microcontroller, not microprocessor. Mm -hmm. where we are running a real-time operating system, not Linux or Android. Mm -hmm. um, we optimized our platform for low energy consumption. So most of these devices would be running off a battery. And kind of our benchmark on that is that you need to run off of a coin cell for 10 years, a watch battery. Mm -hmm. So, so you, most of the devices are going to be low duty rate, low duty cycle and just wake up they may be monitoring the environment but then you know every 10 minutes or every 20 minutes or every time you open a door you know or or on an energy meter you know maybe you're only measuring once a minute or once every 10 minutes and that's enough you know it, it's really command and control type networks that are going to be the proliferation of the majority of these devices you know you're always going to have higher functionality devices you know a car is an iot device too right <laughs> right so um but in, in our view it's the far edge and we we believe that those have to be secure they have to be updatable mm -hmm. uh, they have to be smart so you have you're going to be you know they have processing embedded and memory and you know power management and they have to operate on like very very little energy um, and, and to be able to have as high of a functionality as possible. We're doing a lot of work uh, in machine learning and understanding how uh, to, to integrate that type of technology in a power efficient way to process sensor inputs. You know, one of the most expen expensive parts of an IoT device is when you have to transmit information. So right. you want to you want to make sure that you, you only do that when necessary. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the way we define it, you know, and, and, and it's across, you know, the personal area networks that talk to your mobile phone. It's across the local area networks that talk into, say, a gateway or something like that within your house or your factory and also wide area networks to a certain degree. You know, and, and there's a place for 5G. We kind of decided that 5G was where we were going to draw draw the line and not go after the the uh, you know the cellular carriers and and uh, and go after that and you just look at the size of these markets the size of the Wi-Fi market the Bluetooth market the mesh market Z-Wave and then all the proprietary standards and we're addressing a you know a seven eight billion dollar market going to a you know ten to fifteen billion dollar market over the next five years and uh, and now we're focused purely on this IoT opportunity which is the, for for me the most exciting opportunity uh, of of my career so far. And uh, I'm even more optimistic now than I was a decade ago. A decade ago, it was like, well, I think this is going to happen. Now it's like, I know this is happening. So, so you're retiring at the most exciting junction of is that is that what you're telling me? Uh, well, yeah, actually, uh, you know, I, I, I started at the company when there were 10 employees and, yeah. and uh, you know, I worked on the tape out of our first chip and our second chip and our third chip and our fourth chip. And um and you know, built a couple of businesses here, and then you know, have had the privilege of leading the company for the last ten years and building up IoT to where it's now achieved this critical mass. 
and uh, you know where we're selling off the the other part of the company. We've been through this really remarkable corporate transformation, and and you know that that involves people, right? It's not just the leader; it's the entire culture of the company. So it's like we've got this great situation where we're now you know purely focused on something. We've got to optimize the company around that, mm-hmm. and you've got to you know, we've got a very capable team. And, uh, you know, after 24 years, I just turned 54. My daughter graduated from college and announced to me that she's getting married. And, uh, and you know, I, I, in some ways it's like, you know, Silicon Labs has now graduated from IoT college and, uh, you know, it's ready to go out in the world. And so I, I think that the team is, is uh, you know, I, I have full confidence in Matt. Matt Johnson, uh, our president, uh, joined the company three years ago, uh, came out of uh, Freescale and NXP, worked across systems, great communicator. You know, the team loves him. They're, you know, he, he's he's ready to take over. And and a lot of times- He's definitely going to be the guy after you then. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm finishing off through uh, the remainder of the year yeah. and then, uh, you know, announced that uh, I'm going to be stepping down as CEO uh, and Matt's going to be taking over in 20. So I'll finish up 21 and Matt takes over in 22. And I don't think we're going to miss a step there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, throughout my career, it's been really important for me that I finish what I start and I leave what I, you know, I leave whatever project or whatever uh, into very good hands. So land, I've, I've used an analogy that you got to land the plane that come, my dad was a pilot. And, uh, and so I, uh, you know, think of things on, on those terms. And, uh, you know, I think that Silicon, this is the right time for me to go out and, and start thinking about what's next in uh, my career. I'm, I get bored pretty quick. So <laughs> I'm not actually retiring to the beach because I get, you know, two days and I'm ready for something new. And I, I don't play golf. So <laughs> there's going uh, to be plenty of interesting work. But after 24 years, it's, it's, it's time to try something else. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm joining the te- technical board. So I'm going to step back onto the technical advisory board and continue to work with the engineers but uh, from a day-to-day perspective, um, you know, passing things off. And, and it's a good time to do that. I'm excited. So uh, I noticed you are still going to be involved with a bunch of boards you'd mentioned in your blog. Um, uh, do, do you anticipate uh, remaining, uh, uh, rem- keep continuing to, to, to monitor and, and help forward what's going on in the IOT? Are there other elements of engineering or engineering education that, that, uh, uh, that you expect are, that are important to you that you expect you'll be pursuing? Yeah. I mean, I, I've got, I've, I've been involved in the community a lot um, and, and the involvement of Silicon labs into the community and, you know, being on top of policy has been something that I've, that I've really enjoyed. I'm continuing to remain engaged uh, with my alma mater, uh, so Johns Hopkins and UCLA, um, you know, in terms of education. Um, and, and, you know, we'll see what comes along from a, uh, you know, from an industry standpoint. I think that, you know, certainly, you know, the IoT market, but the semiconductor industry in general, uh, you know, ha- has a lot of challenges and, and a lot of growth ahead. And so there's a lot of aspects to our industry that, you know, I've spent my entire career and uh and you know there's other pieces to look at as well uh so lo- looking forward to having time to thinking about that you know i don't don't have anything specific in mind uh you know i've been involved a lot of in you know policy around the austin area in terms of transportation uh and and homelessness and racial justice and social equity issues 
Um, I, I, I uh, joined the board at the Dallas Federal Reserve Bank at the uh, the beginning of last year, which has been a pretty interesting place to uh, you know to to really understand how monetary policy and fiscal policy work, and sometimes doesn't work, and uh, what a lot of the you know the global pressures are uh, you know on our on our society and and on our economy. So you know th there's there's a lot of a lot of interesting problems to work on in the world, and I'm looking forward to the chance to uh, you know spend a little bit more time on that kind of stuff too. That's pretty cool. I mean, uh, so when you walk into those situations, do you feel like you're you're wearing your engineering hat or your management hat or you know engineering hat and management T-shirt? I guess. Um, <laughs> well, do you do you feel that like an engineering point of view is I don't see that as something I often see in policy discussions, and I'm wondering to what extent uh, your you bring your experience to some of these endeavors you're talking about. Well, you know, it, from an engineer, I, I was born an engineer. I like to joke that <laughs> like I came out of the womb as an engineer, and you know, when I was a kid, I took all sorts of stuff apart and in high school, learned how to put some of it back together. And, uh, and so, but fundamentally, I've always really enjoyed problem solving <laughs> and, you know, the scientific process and then bringing teams together and getting, understanding what problems are worthwhile to solve, right? There's a lot of interesting stuff to work on, but, you know, you really want to see something either succeed in the market or to change the world or, uh, you know, to change the way people live or, improve the economy. And, uh, and those, those are not just, you know, semiconductors, that's, that's one component. But, you know, if you look at, at affordability, for instance, you know, this is a multifaceted uh, policy that, that comes into that. So these, you know, I think that you can apply problem solving principles and building a vision and building a mission uh, and executing on plans and project management and understanding finance and understanding markets and, and, uh, and, and being able to, um, you know, steer things in the right direction that, you know, so I think that in, in, in a lot of ways, I think engineering principles and problem solving um, could be more applied to more things. And, and uh, we'll see, we'll see if that's possible. But uh, the, uh, you know, certainly the experience that I've had, you know, at Silicon Labs, and, uh, you know, in terms of strategy and project execution and building teams and, you know, working with some just fantastic people. Um, hopefully that's an element of, uh, you know, whatever I end up doing going forward. That was Silicon Labs CEO Tyson Tuttle. Visit this episode's webpage for a link to the blog in which he announces his retirement. Look on the left for the link to the story. And that wraps this episode of the weekly briefing. Thank you for listening. This podcast is available on all the major podcast platforms, but if you get to us via our website at eetimes.com slash podcasts, you'll find a transcript along with links to the stories we mentioned. The weekly briefing is produced by EE Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McRae at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. I'm Brian Santo. See you next week. So uh, as you were starting or, or anywhere along your career, did anybody pull you aside and say, you know, Tyson, did they ever give you some, did, did you ever get some, some great advice that you hadn't anticipated? 
Nav Such, our founder, uh, he was actually my first boss out of college. He interviewed me and hired me and brought me to Austin back in 1992. And, and interestingly enough, on my first day uh, at the job, I was at Cirrus Logic and had just, just driven up, driven in from California. And, uh, and, and the first thing he tells me is that I'm behind schedule. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm pretty convinced that 30 years later, <laughs> I'm still behind schedule. 